The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Good morning. Are you guys awake this morning? Kind of, somewhat, sort of, maybe not. You know, I woke up this morning, it was pattern rain out for like the 12th Sunday out of two and a half months. <laughs> and you just kind of want to roll over, and it's just kind of a slow way to get started. But you know something? I always get excited coming because I know that God is going to show up. Because He's here. Church is the Christ in me and the Christ in you as we come together. And, 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 and so I, I want to see what God has to say to me today. And so uh, I, hope, uh, I hope you can wake up. I hope you can uh, clear your head, clear your heart to hear what God wants to share with you this morning. You know, I've uh, had a question I've been thinking about for quite a while here. Have you ever had a question that just kind of haunts you? Somebody asks you a question, and, and usually, generally, in Christendom, there's two answers. It's either Jesus or pride, and just kind of whip those off the top of your head. Uh, but when you go away and start thinking about some things, it goes deeper than you ever thought it would goes into your soul. Jesus used to ask a lot of questions like this. And they weren't questions you could just really quickly respond to. Because he asked you questions of the heart, not just factual questions. And so I have a question like that I've been pondering, and I wanted to ask you this morning. If someone were to ask you, what is the truest thing about your heart? How would you respond? What is the truest thing about your heart? How would you respond to that? Well, initially, I think, well, I'm about my heart. I don't go that deep that quick. So I'm thinking, well, I'm six foot two. That's true. Got blue eyes. Can't change that. Drove a white Ford F-150 to church today. It's good. Uh, Okay. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ. But if you were to ask the real me, the the me very few people know, the me of my heart, I'd have to say that sometimes, sometimes I battle strong feelings of shame. The shame in me produces feelings of inadequacy and, and worthlessness. There are times that I... I'm afraid what people might think about me, honestly. I'm afraid that, that they won't like the way I look or what I wear or what I say, maybe, or, or what I believe. There are times when I feel unworthy, really, to be a child of God, much less to be used by God and serving Him in any significant way. And sometimes, sometimes that feels almost insurmountable. If I were honest, those would be that, some of the answers to that question. And so what I want to do today is to ask you that question. What do you believe is the truest thing about your heart? This is not a rhetorical question. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to come up with an answer to that. I want you to go deep. I want you to search your heart and answer your question. You don't have to share this with anybody else. This is between you and God. But what is the truest thing you believe about your own heart? This isn't about what you do. It's about who you are. Afraid? Full of shame? Abandoned? Powerless? Worthless?
I've had to think through my answer to that question this week. <clears throat> I have some bad news, and I have some good news. You've heard that before. The bad news is like really, really bad, but the good news is really, really good. First of all, the bad news is that, that we are all very broken people. Very broken people. Psalm 53, 3 says that there is none who do good, not even one. Now, I grew up in a church. I went to church since I was two weeks old, and that wasn't of my own choice. They carried me there, but I've been going ever since. I know the word. I know, the, the, I know about God. I know the right thing to do pretty much in any situation. And I look pretty good on the outside, but the reality is my heart was full of crud. I knew how to play the game. I knew how to put on the face. The people thought I was one way, but the reality I was not. Not here. Not on the inside. There's none who do good. Not even one. If I'm honest, I struggle with a few more things than what I've even shared. Sometimes, for me, it's a daily battle. Maybe even an hourly battle to overcome some of that thinking. I know some of you can relate to me with that. I also realized long ago that, that, that I can't fix those parts of me that are broken like this. I can't do it. I've tried. The bad news is, is that in my sinful self-effort, when I give my very best... It's really a very short performance to a small crowd. And it always ends badly. Now the good news is this. Whatever you wrote down or thought in your head, whatever answer you came up with to my question is probably not the truest thing about you. <laughs> That's the good news. That's probably not the truest thing about you. Many of those things you came up with probably are a result of what people said about you, what people told you you were, or what others thought about you, or what you think about yourself. That's probably where your heart stuck. But the reality is, it's what God says about me that is the truest thing about me. That's the good news, guys. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks about me. That is the truest thing about me. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 14. We uh, just finished a, a long series on John, and I keep going back to that because John is such a good book, such a rich book. A lot of truth here in the book of John. John chapter 14, and I'm looking at verse 6. And Jesus is speaking here. Jesus said to Thomas, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this is very powerful for a number of reasons, but Jesus says, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And the reality is that Jesus is truth. That's just not the name for himself. That's who he is. Jesus is the truth. And all that is true comes from him. So because he's the truth, it's what God says about us is always the truest thing about us. Is that making sense? Do you see the disconnect between the way I see myself and the way I live my life and how God sees me? Maybe totally different than that. And I find myself stuck in this, in this place because I think I'm one thing and God declares that I'm something else. There's a disconnect between my head and my heart. My head probably knows the right Christian answers, but my heart says, man, I don't feel like that. I feel bad. I feel, I feel like I want to crawl under a rock. That's shame. And God, Christ died for our shame. He died for our shame. 
So here's the problem. The enemy of our soul comes in and tries to convince us that what God said about us really isn't true. And so we tend to wallow in our self-perception. Again, my seeing myself through the eyes of somebody else. What do they think of me kind of thing? And we never really dwell on what God says to be true about us. And no wonder. Many of us are stuck. We're stuck believing our lies. We're stuck believing that I can never change. We're stuck in believing that I could really never be any different than I am. We're stuck in believing that there is no hope for me. The Apostle Paul wrote an entire chapter on, on this thing called spiritual warfare. It's just about the battles that we face when we're uh, dealing with the battle for our soul. This is a very real thing. Because we do have an enemy, and he wants to convince us that we are not who God says we are. And so turn with me to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to look here specifically, verse 16. One of the last things Paul tells us, he's talking about the armor that we put on to fight this fight that we're engaged in. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. I read that verse again this week, and I was thinking of that, and I don't know how many guys like Roman movies. You guys like the old movies where the Romans and the, that kind of thing? My wife's nuts over them, so I watch them sometimes too, and they're pretty cool. Uh, but you see the Romans, and they're all together, and they're doing their march here, and, and the enemy's on the, on the tower of the castle, and they get their arrows, and they start, they light them on fire, and they shoot down at them. Now, why do they light the arrows on fire? They want to hurt them. They want to inflict the greatest pain possible. So if there's anything around them, if the arrows bounce off, at least it's going to burn. It's going to burn their clothes. It's going to burn the bushes. It's going to create smoke. They want to do the greatest damage possible. And so what did the Romans do? How do they, how do they deflect that? They, they have a shield. And they all get in a group. And they all put the shield up. And it's like this little turtle shell. And the arrows are bouncing off of these guys, and they're just under their hunker. It's like, how can you get to that? You can't get to these darn Romans because they've got their shield up. The devil is wanting to shoot fiery darts, arrows at us, because he wants to inflict pain. He wants to inflict damage. I did a Bible study years ago about unbelief and our shield of faith. And, and in that particular study, the shield of faith included five things. The God is who he says he is. The God can do what he says he can do. That I am who God says I am. That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And God's word is alive and active in me. That's our shield of faith. That's our shield of faith. Each one of those statements are true by itself and put together. And so this morning, what I want to do is focus on that middle part of the shield of faith, that I am who God says I am. Why do you think that's important to believe? Why is it important to believe that I really am who God says I am? I'm sorry? It's about what we believe to be true. Not, not just what we believe, what really is true, not just what we believe is true, but our agreement with God and what he says, it's huge when it comes to walking by faith, isn't it? It's huge. It's huge. Because we're going to remain stuck if we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And I've been there before. Sometimes I'm there now. I'm stuck. I'm like, I don't understand. I mean, and, and the problem comes back to a lot of times that I'm not, really not believing what God said to be true about me. Do I believe what others say I am? If I'm honest, yeah, sometimes I do. I've had people call me a screw-up, that I can't do this certain thing, and maybe that's true, but it was very derogatory, that I really don't have anything to offer, that I need to go back and crawl in my hole. I've had a lot of people over the course of my life tell me a lot of different things, and somehow the heart can begin to believe this. Well, maybe I really don't have anything to offer. Maybe I should get back in my hole. Maybe I should be what they're, maybe I really am what they're telling me I am. 
Or maybe, maybe my own head tells me things that really aren't true. Maybe you're not saying anything like that, but that's how I feel. I really can't contribute to this. But God's not really working in me. He can do it in other people, but he's not doing it here. I'm just, I'm just pretty worthless when it comes to the kingdom of God. All these shaming, derogatory thoughts come in. Either way, I think I fall far short of what God truly says to be true about me. So let's think this through. By holding on to the lies I believe about myself, I'm choosing to believe that, just like John Lewis said last week, that walking in slavery to those lies is better than God taking me into the promised land and actually becoming what God says to be true. Remember what John shared, John? That hit my wife square between the eyes. Wow. It's this choice we got to make here. And they were choosing garlic and leeks. You guys ever had garlic? Probably in small amounts. You ever bit into a clove of garlic? Dude, you don't want to do that. I've done it. <laughs> and I'm washing my mouth out. I'm like, dude, that is so strong. It's good in small amounts. And leeks, we don't use leeks. They sell them in the grocery store. We don't use them much. But there's really nothing to crow about. Leeks are really very good. And they were longing for this better than what God had promised them to be true. They made a willing choice to believe that garlic and leeks were better than this promised land that God said was flowing with milk and honey, all you'd ever want. In other words, they wanted the slavery and the physical beatings and the impossible demands of the Egyptians with a few garlic and leeks thrown in there, more than they wanted to trust God to give them what they always wanted far beyond their wildest dreams. Does that make any sense? For the Israelites, the known was better than the unknown. And I think that's true with some of us today. If I truly believe that Christ is in me, if I truly believe that God really has plans for me, when I choose to hold on to this broken view of who I am as a Christian, and I willingly choose to disbelieve what God said to be true about me, then what am I doing with this overwhelming grace and mercy that God has poured out of my life? I'm saying, basically, I don't need that. I don't want that. I want to stay stuck. I want to stay on this chain that's limited me and my actions because that's all I know. That's all I know. Christ died to set us free. And part of that freedom comes free from how I view myself. Freedom from how I think others view me. It really doesn't matter in the long run. So if what is really truly true about me? I, I know how my heart thinks. I know what my heart has thought. I know the struggles I feel. So if that's not true, then what really is true about me? What does God say to be true about me today? As a Christ follower, as one who's given his heart to Jesus Christ, lock, stock, and barrel, what, who am I now that I'm a Christian, a Christ follower? Well, scripturally, there are over 90 different things that happened when I became a Christian 90 different things, 90 different ways that I am different than I was. 90 different changes that God has made or is in the process of making into my life. And that's huge. And what I want to do is touch on five or six of those this morning. So we begin to get a handlebar on who we are in Christ. Because I honestly think, if you are like me, sometimes I find myself stuck. And I think these things really aren't true and I don't feel like I'm making progress largely because I'm not seeing me as God sees myself. And so I need to remind myself, what does God say to be true about me? And so I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start there. Romans chapter 8. Romans is a great book, by the way, guys. It is really, really, really good. There's a lot of truth here, a lot of, uh, a lot of life-changing things. Paul talks a lot about what we were like before Christ and, and how we received Christ and what life is like after Christ here. But Romans chapter 8 is huge. And I'm going to start here with verse, uh, verse 1. Paul's writing and he says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit 
For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. He has set us free, guys. Do you realize that there's no condemnation anymore? And I don't want to talk to your head. Somehow, I prayed this morning that God would talk to your heart here. That I, by the grace of God, am free from my past. And nothing will ever be held against me again. (laughs) Do you know what a life-changing truth that is? I picture myself with this this, uh, uh, feed sack, 50 pounds of corn that I'm trying to lug up a steep hill. That's my life, man. I'm weighted down. And God comes up and says, you don't need that anymore. I buck my shoulders and that feed falls on the ground and I feel 100 pounds lighter. Because you know what? Before God, there's no more condemnation. There is, I'm free. I have been set free. And that is true freedom. To live clean and free before God. To no longer have to bear the weight of my sin. Guys, that's life changing. That's what happened when I became a Christian. He forgave my sin. Let me ask you a question. How much of your sin was was future when died on the cross. It was, all, it was all future, wasn't it? I can understand maybe the creed forgave my sin in the past, and, and maybe the sin I did again this morning for the umpteenth time, but surely not what I'm going to do tomorrow. And the reality is, from God's perspective, it was all forgiven. It was all forgiven. All my sin for the rest of my life has been wiped clean. <laughs> Guys, if that's not good news, what is? Now, some of you will say, well, you know, if that's true, I'm going to go out and do this and this and this. And that's probably not the truth. Or you won't get very far. Because when Jesus comes into your heart, he also changes your want to do. And you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I may struggle with that some. And the struggle is good because that's evident there's a spirit in here that's saying, hey, that's not good or right. I don't really want to do that stuff I used to do. There's a changed heart. There are changed desires. And so the reality is there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jump up just a few verses. Let's look at verses 38 and 39. Paul continues here. Chapter 8 is full of good stuff. And Paul says this. He says, for I am sure, I am confident, I am positive that neither death nor life, nor angels above or rulers here, nor things present or things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus. We spent two months talking about this incredible love the Father has for us. And Paul is saying right here and right now that I am convinced that absolutely nothing can separate me from the love that God has for me. That's how sure it is. Here's the deal. No sin I can do, no sin I can even imagine is bigger than the grace of God for me. Guys, that blows my mind. I've never been in a relationship before where that's true. Ever. And in this relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what he says is true. There's nothing you can do that is greater than my grace to forgive. No sin, no accusation, not even myself can separate me from the love of God. If somebody moves, it's me. It's not God. God never draws back. God never pulls back. It's me that pulls back from him. This is huge. There is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God. And this is true security. Being completely loved in spite of our failures. And you know this as well as I know this, and some of you who are married can attest to some of this, is that when you get married, you feel like that you found your soulmate. You feel like this person can know more of my deeper heart than anybody else. And even though she knows this or he knows that, it's okay. I think all of our hearts long for that kind of relationship. God gives us that and so much more. Because he knows me even greater than I know myself. There's nothing I can do. 
Nothing I can think, nothing, no place I can imagine going that will separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's huge. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Actually, I'm going to, uh, yeah, let's start in 1. Uh, got two verses here. Well, verse 6. He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And what this verse basically means is the work that God started when I finally became a Christian. It's this process called sanctification. It's, it's God working in me and through me to make me like Jesus Christ in my heart and in my character. He's changing the way I was and making me who I'm not. He says the work that he began, he'll bring it to completion. God's not going to quit. He's not going to give up on me. He's not going to say, well, you sinned for the 1,050,222nd time, and that's it. That's my limit. You're done. I'm out of here. I'm going to work with this guy over here because he's making more progress. God never says that. No, he says once he puts his spirit here that he's going to work and work and work and work to completion to, to complete the work that God began in my heart. He's going to continue to form me and shape me and change me even through my old age. And I am getting older. And God's not quit. God is still at work in me to make me more and more like him. God will never give up on me, no matter what. That's security. I don't know another human being. My wife has made that commitment, and she is just a reflection of God in me. But God himself knows my heart inside and out, and he made that commitment. Knowing what he was getting into, he's never, never, never going to quit, no matter what. That's incredible. Move ahead just a couple chapters, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 13. Paul again is writing, he says this. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Does that mean I can go out here and lift my truck up in a single bound? I wish. can't happen. I can, I can, well, I'm not as strong as I used to be. But I was watching some old Superman episodes the other day. The old black and white ones, and I'll tell you guys, they're really tacky. Have you ever seen these? These are put back in 1956, 57, 58. And the, 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 it's just really bad. But as a kid, man, I got into it thinking, man, Superman's got x-ray vision. He can lift up the car and jump a, a building in a single bound and all this kind of stuff. And I really believe that was true. Well, the reality, I, I'm not Superman. And I can't lift a car by my own strength. And that's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is that God will give me the strength I need to do whatever God calls me to do. That's what this verse is saying. And here's where the rubber meets the road. That God is going to give me the strength to love my wife as Christ loved the church. God's going to give you strength, ladies, to love God as Christ loved the church. That's the deal. And that's hard. Because I'm a broken person. My wife is a broken person. We live in a broken world. And how in the world am I supposed to love my wife as, as Christ loved the church? That's almost an impossible task. But it's not. He says, you can do this only through me. Because I'm the one that gives you the strength to do that. How can I give a portion of my earnings back to God for his use? Lord, you see the checkbook here. I don't have any money left over. I can give you the strength and the courage to do what you can't do on your own. To share the gospel message with a friend or even a family member. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and say, well, you know, my cousin really needs to hear the gospel, but I, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to share. I don't know how to share it. The reality is that God will give you the strength to do it because he's done it with you. You know what happened in your life. You can tell your story. It'll make a difference. You can share the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone else who desperately needs it, but you can do it through him. You can do it through him. 
John and Alicia Looney are going to Honduras to begin a Christian school this time next year. You want to go? God didn't send me. God's sending them. And guess what? He's empowering them to do what God has called them to do. Tim and Janie Castellanos. We started a Spanish-speaking church, uh, Spanish-speaking service here one Saturday night a month. And Ken is right in this place bringing the word of God, sharing the gospel to Spanish-speaking people. Did he even think that was a twinkle in his mind two years ago? Three years ago, he didn't even know Jesus. He's doing this because God has given him the strength to do what God has called him to do. And so here's the truth, is that what God has called you to do, he will give you the strength, he will give you the power, he will give you the courage to do what God has called you to do. You do have what it takes, but it's only through Christ who gives you strength. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's a good verse. I've had this memorized for years. He said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power and love and self-control. You see, fear is something I think we all struggle with at times. Some more than others, granted. And fear is a healthy emotion. Fear was given to us by God. Because what fear does, it tells us something's not right. And there's danger ahead. There's a place for fear in our life. But negatively, most of our fears come from our lack of control. It comes from our lack of control. It's a fear of the unknown. And so because we fail to trust God, we're afraid. Does that make sense? If I can control it, if I control the outcome, if I control the way things happen, then I'm okay. But if I have no control, I don't know what's going to happen, and so I'm afraid. And really, I'm not trusting God with much of anything in my life. It's a fear that's controlling us. And this verse says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Most of the fears that we have are unfounded. Really? Really? Uh, that's true. Studies have shown that 90% plus of what we fear never really happens. I look back at my life and think of all the things that could happen. <laughs> Most of them never did. And the things that did really didn't impact me that much. And so I can see God's hand in the past, but I'm still afraid to trust God for the future. Because I, I'm, I'm wanting control. I want to know how it ends up. And the older you get, the more in a rut you want to stay, the more control you want to have. But the older I get, the more I realize that I never was in control in the first place. I thought I was. I thought I had the world by, by the tail when I was 20. And this is what I'm going to do. And you know what? That may have been my, my head. But I really can control very little. I can't make you guys do anything. I can't even make myself do things sometimes. I really, this control issue is really not much when you get down to it. I control very little. But God, being the loving God and the loving Father that He is, really is out for my best. And there comes a point where I have to own that and open my hands and say, Lord, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I thought. These were my plans, Lord. Give me what you think is best. And I'm going to turn and I'm not going to worry about it. That's faith. That's faith. If we really believe God's in control, we can give it up and not worry about it. God never did give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power, of courage, of love, of self-control. Why? Because God is like that. And we are created in the image of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Again, Paul is writing and he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Guys, camp on this for a little bit. This is incredible. That I am the workmanship of God himself. How special does that make me feel? 
Well, on one hand, it's like, dude, you got to be kidding. And reality sets in and says, yeah, but, you know, I'm all messed up, and I got these sins, and I got these physical flaws, my limitations, and that's probably not true. I want to read you something out of Psalm 139. And uh, this is really good. Psalm 139, you don't have to turn there. He says, and he's talking about God. He says, for you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. How many of you guys have seen an ultrasound? Most of you guys have, right? David didn't have this. No ultrasounds, and yet he knew what was true. He says, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. The little bitty nubs that are going to become fingers and toes. God was in there creating me in my mother's womb before I even had a clue. That's his workmanship. Guys, I'm no accident. I'm here to tell you that your life is no accident either. You are not an accident. You were not a mistake. I don't care how you were born. You were not a mistake. God says that I knew you before time began. I formed you in your mother's womb. I know what you're like. I gifted you. I gave you a personality. I gave you passions. I wired you in a certain way. And you, my friend, are my workmanship. That's true about me. That's true about you. You know, I have some cabinets in my house, a whole bunch of cabinets actually in the kitchen. <laughs> and they're oak and they look really nice. Have you guys ever seen Amish cabinets? What do you know about Amish cabinets? They're what? They're flawless. Talk about quality. I mean, the price reflects that. Quality. You can get no better than Amish-made cabinets. Why is that true? It's same oak, sometimes the same tree. It's because of their workmanship that makes it stand out. And guys, the Amish didn't make me. God made me. God made me. I am his workmanship. He knows my talents. He knows my weaknesses. He knows what I consider to be physical flaws. I remember looking at myself in the bathroom mirror. Gee, Lord, I wish I had a you know, different hair and uh, you know, darker hair and a better nose. And you know, We've all done this. We kind of criticize what we think are flaws. But you know what? God gave those to us. And maybe, just maybe, those aren't flaws. Maybe they're not flaws at all. Maybe what I see as faults, God sees as marks of ownership. This makes me uniquely his. Wow. What if that were true? How would that affect my self-image? How would that affect the way I carry myself in life? Maybe a lot. God uniquely created me. He uniquely impassioned me to love God and to serve him well. The reality is that I am uniquely created and loved by God. I've just shared six of those 90 plus things that God says are true about me once I've become a Christian. And if those truths right there don't change your life, I don't know what will. This is how God sees your life. And so I see the disconnect and say, God, I want this to be true about me, but this is the way I see and the way I feel. And God says, no, this is the way I see you. These things are what is true about you. So if you're a Christian today, if you made that choice to acknowledge your sin, to own your stuff, that Jesus Christ is living in you as he promises he will, 
When we become a genuine Christ follower, then this is for you. What I'm asking you to do is to make a a paradigm shift in your heart. It's in your thinking from the way that you've always thought about yourself to what God says to be true about you. It's a great verse. I memorized it years ago. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So according to this verse, it's on the screen here, how does transformation occur? By the renewing of your mind. Transformation happens as our mind is renewed. What does, it, what does it mean to renew our mind? Because the Spirit of God is in here. God wants us to begin seeing life the way He sees it and not the way I've always seen it, or the way I've always felt it was true. And the more I camp on what God said to be true, the less I believe what I feel, the less I believe what others say is true about me, the less I believe what I think is true about myself. I begin to see myself in an entirely different light. And it will. It will change how you act, how you think, and how you live. It will. Last verse here, Philippians 4.8. Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, and and I would call this stuff pretty excellent. (laughs) He said, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The word think in the Greek literally means to dwell on, to dwell on, to consider, to take into account, to meditate on. What he's saying, guys, is to put down the iPhone, turn the computer off, lay the paper aside here, and spend some time sitting with these truths. God says these things are true about you. Sit with them until they become a part of who you are. Remember years ago, I I was struggling with some of my own self-concept in a pretty significant way. And God led me to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And, uh, and so I, I thought, you know, Lord, I, I don't know if I really believe this. I know it's in the Word, but I don't know that that really is reflective of me and my life. And so God says, you need to camp on this. I memorized verses 3 all the way through verse 11 here. And in it he says that Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, me, in Christ before the foundation of the world that I should be holy and blameless before him. And it goes on. And the first thing I couldn't wrap my mind around is that God knew my life before his finger drew a circle on the face of the deep and called it earth. That's what the verse is saying. That he knew me before time began. Some truths that I just couldn't wrap my head around. But I knew they were true, but I couldn't get it. And so I took that passage, I put it up in the closet that I was working from. I was a janitor at the time. And, and, and I memorized that, and every single day I would go over and over and over that and cry out to God, God, is this true in my life? Help me to see what I don't see. And you know what? God did that. And I believe those things with all my heart today. It's changed how I live, how I think, how I feel, because those things are true. I had to dwell on that. I had to spend time. Saying, Lord, I know you say that's true, but there's this disconnect here. Lord, would you open the eyes of my heart to see what you say to be true? And give me the courage to believe it. As a Christ follower, each one of these things I mentioned this morning are true about you. And they are truer than how you answered the question when we first started. If you can begin to see yourself as God sees you, you begin to understand just begin to understand what it really means to live loved. You really will. I remember uh, my wife and I have been married 27 years. And, uh, and I remember when I first met her, man, it was almost love at first sight. 
I was walking on cloud nine, and everybody knew it. It's like, what's with you? <laughs> I met a girl. That's a girl. Yeah, it was a girl. And I was floating on cloud nine, and it was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. I was living loved. But you know what? I love my wife, but God is so much more than who she is. She's a reflection of him. Thank God for that. But God is so much more. Talk about learning to live loved. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this morning, if you don't personally know Jesus, if you don't have this walking, talking relationship that we have and continue to talk about, then none of these things are really true about you. They don't apply. I don't care if you've been to church for a million times like I was. If you don't have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then those things simply aren't true. It's not that God doesn't want them for you. His offer of salvation and complete peace with God really is resting in your court. He's waiting on your response to him. You see, if you've never really come to God, if you've never really owned your brokenness, in these ways, God, I'm broken and I'm a mess. I can't, I can't fix it. I can't figure my way out here, Lord. I want what you have to give. Until Jesus Christ forgives your sin, until he puts part of himself in you, we call the Holy Spirit, none of these things are true. But God wants it for you. The question is, do you want it for yourself? God has made an offer. He's holding his hand out. We have to... We have to take responsibility and reach back. Say, Lord, I want to take what you have to give. You need to respond to him. Matthew 5, Jesus is talking, Sermon on the Mount, in verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek for Poor in spirit literally means abject poverty. It's not like I'm a pretty good guy and I'll see if I, if I want what God has and then I'll make a choice. God is not there for curiosity seekers. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those people who know they have nothing to give. Blessed are the people who really realize they're broken people and you can't fix everything. You can fix very little. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the antithesis of pride is what it is. It's very humbling to have to own that. And we're very proud people. Humility is critical to our brokenness. It is for me. I'm just as proud as anybody else, but I realize that, you know what? I don't have what it takes, and he does. And we humble ourselves so God can forgive our sins, and God begins to to make us new. We can't clean ourselves up for God. I can't make myself good enough that God will accept me. I have to come just as I am. Say, God, I want, I want what you have to offer. God is calling you to repent, to turn from your pride and self-sufficiency, to turn from thinking you know best about your life. To turn from your self-effort and trying to be good. I mean, how's it working for you? It never worked for me. It never did. God is calling you to surrender to him. To his love. And to his mercy. God holding back what you rightly deserve. To God's grace who wants to give you what you don't deserve. He's calling you to surrender to complete forgiveness of your sin. To surrender to what God says can be true about you. To surrender to what God wants to think about you as well. Can I do any better? What have I got to lose? I think God created us within us this God-shaped vacuum in our soul. And we know in our heart of hearts, no matter how hard I try, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do what I think I can. I can't be who I want to be. 
Because only God can fill this thing and make me all that I ever wanted to be, all that God ever wanted me to be. But I have to go back to the cross because the cross is what makes all the difference. His death for my life, the great exchange. I'm going to be in back as we uh, band comes forward. We're going to sing a couple of songs here. But I want this to be a time of reflection for you. If you want to talk to me about the gospel and what this means in your life, what it means to know Jesus like I know Jesus, my wife will be back there. I'll be back to come and talk to us. I'd love to help you in this process. If you're a believer here today, which many of you are, I want you to consider this paradigm shift. What is keeping you from believing what God says to be true about your life? What's at stake here? What's at stake is is walking in victory and power and grace in the Christian life. How is God calling you to respond to what you've heard today? I want to give you a time of response. And I don't care what, if you want to dance in the aisles, that's fine. I've seen it happen. Because David did that. The guy was naked too. I wouldn't suggest that necessarily. But, But man, he was just full of it. It's like, God, look what you did. If you want to sit there with your head bowed, that's fine. If you want to raise your hands, I don't care how you want to respond. Respond as God leads you to. But take these things in and say, God, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord, I thank you, God, for who I am in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that the grace of God is greater than all my sin. I thank you, Lord, that, that you have made me who I could never make myself. I thank you, Lord, that the things you say are true about me are greater than I could ever do in my own life. Lord, I was praying last night as I was driving home, and Lord, I was praying that these things would be true in my life. And you reminded me, God, that they are true. Don't pray that because they're already true. Pray that I could believe what God says to be true. And so, Lord, I changed my prayer. I said, God, these things are true. Lord, would you help me to believe what's already true? Help me to believe that that I'm loved. That that is who I am. In Jesus' name, amen.